Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number six. I want to thank Hannah Hester for her comment on iTunes about this podcast. She said, A fun podcast. I love the Fun Ideas Podcast more than Brett Kavanaugh loves beer. Mark Arnold is a great interviewer. I'll be listening faithfully to each episode. Thank you, Hannah. These shows are coming so fast and furious, I don't have enough to say about the the progress of my various projects. I did finally go through my book created and produced by Total Television from 2009 to check for errors to correct for my upcoming Total Television scrapbook, and surprisingly, there wasn't as many errors as I originally thought. The most glaring, of course, was saying that Harvey Siegel was dead. But I am correcting that by transcribing an interview I did with him in 2014, and thankfully at this moment he is still with us. The only other glaring error was saying the big the Beatles. Let's get this right. The only other glaring error was saying the Beatles cartoon show aired on CBS. It was the Beagles cartoon show that did. The Beatles only aired on ABC. In everything else that I'm doing, the Warren Kremer book, the Chipmunks book, the Monkey Solo book, the Pink Panther DVDs, I'm playing the waiting game. But everything should be out within the next year. I'm not planning any new projects until some of these other projects have come out. Our guest today is Mort Todd. Now, he may not want me to tell you this, his real name is Michael Delphamine, but this is my podcast. Mort has worked for Marvel, with work appearing in a number of titles, including his own Curse of the Weird and Monster Menace, which reprinted old Ditko and Kirby monster stories from the 50s and early 60s, as well as more mainstream stuff like Spider-Man. He also worked for DC and Superman, among other characters. And he's currently the publisher and editor for Charlton Neo, a company devoted to reprinting many Charlton comic stories from the past and hiring ex-Charlton creators for some new material. But he is, like it or not, best remembered for his five-year tenure on Cracked Mazagine, where he never called it that during that period, from 1985 to 1990. During that time, he replaced Paul Lakin, who unfortunately was becoming increasingly irrelevant. He then took the magazine into newer directions, with younger ideas and also bringing new artists into the fold, like Dan Close, and luring classic artists like Steve Ditko into the pages of Cracked. But his piece de resistance at Cracked was his uncanny ability to lure longtime mad stalwarts to Cracked's pages, such as writer Lou Silverstone and especially artist Don Martin. Here he is, Michael, I mean, Mort Todd. So, hello, Mort, how are you doing? Fine, and yourself? Fine. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's it. All right. Thank you very much. Good night. Okay. <laughs> Talk to you again in a couple of years. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So um, I put the post out on the Cracked Magazine page and just kind of said, you know, it's like, do you have any questions other than the typical ones? But people ask the typical ones, and maybe they haven't read the book, the Bible. Oh, they're so misinformed. <laughs> How could they fix that one? How could they possibly? 
Amazon. Will he get a copy of your book? Um, Amazon, maybe. <laughs> it's called it's, If You're. I, I can't remember what was the title. Of it, it it's again? called If You're Cracked, You're Happy, and there's actually two volumes. Volume one, W O N, and volume two, T O O. And I seem to remember that you helped out design the front cover for this thing. Here, have a look. <laughs> Some 13 and, and when is the movie version? The movie version. Uh oh, don't say that. People will probably want that and we'll have to produce it. <laughs> they cracked magazine story. All right, that was a good three seconds of film. All right, next. <laughs> All right, um, so <clears throat> let's begin at the beginning. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about cracked, but I mean, you worked on a lot of other things, and so I got. I'll just mention names so everybody thinks I'm paying attention to them. So Larry Shell, Doug Hoverson, and Bill Rebel all had questions, which I'm pretty much going to ask. So um, now, before Cracked, tell us about yourself pre-Cracked. Pre-Cracked? Well, I was a tiny little spawn <laughs> growing up in Maine and being a comic geek and, you know, into all media, movies, TV, and at a very young age, I, you know, like started noticing credits on TV shows when I was like four or something. <laughs> and um, so uh, I guess my first job as an editor was the editor of our camp newspaper. Huh. At, at camp wall went on called The Wig Wag. And I did comics for it and edited it. And, uh, you know, it was one of those old spirit duplicator machines. Uh-huh. And uh, it, after the summer was over, I swiped it and took it home with me <laughs> until the next summer and printed comics and stuff. So, you know, it was a creative little cuss. So that was my first uh, dabbling into the print world. And then, um, you know, same in, in high school and everything, did a newspaper and with comics and junk like that. And then uh, moved to New York when I was 17, right out of high school, and hooked up with some fellow miscreants like uh, um, Dan Klaus and Rick Altergott, and we self-published our own funny books called Psycho Comics, and started our individual careers. And, you know, and also back then, too, I'd be, like, hanging out and had drinking buddies like Deep Bag and J.D. King and jokers like that. So there was, <laughs> it was a pretty amusing punk comic underground industry. Mm-hmm. And then started freelancing, did, uh, like I did record covers and, you know, posters for bands and did that uh, Back from the Grave uh, series, which was which was fun. It was garage rock from the 1960s that this friend of mine would dig up and get rights to. And then uh, I did covers with like zomb- punk zombies attacking hippies on every cover. Mm-hmm. Did like seven of those or so. <laughs> and they have a bit of a cult following. And the first cover I did is now in the permanent punk collection at Cornell University. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so legit. But yeah, I was pretty, you know, I was pretty into the music scene and was that, you know, knew a lot of bands. Was that really the direction you wanted to go? or Because, I mean, now it seems like you're more known for doing editing and publishing more than 
art even i know you've done a lot of art so i'm not knocking that it's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it was um you know i was i was doing like advertising i was doing anything you know and everything that i could possibly do as a broke teenager and junk and so <laughs> even did tv production and animation and you know and since then i've done music production and you know film and videos so you know as long as it's creative and I try to reach the widest audience possible but not just was that I was into you know I was into music and knew a lot of bands did ads for them mm -hmm. record covers and uh, you know and that actually led to my stint at Marvel because you know I did a line of, of rock comics there right and and so you know so I've, it's funny because like on Facebook I've got you know like a, I think uh, about a third of the people just know me from my music stuff and <laughs> a third know me from comics and the other third are <laughs> so who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> and why did you change his name? actually that is a question I've never asked you why did you change your name? because uh, my real name is just you know no one could pronounce it or spell it and everything and well, so since high school I used well even earlier I would you know as a little kid I'd be drawing monsters and come up with different you know name every week for <laughs> signatures for a while there I was Eric Claudine who was the Phantom of the Opera's real name and stuff like that <laughs> that's true so that's true you've used other names like on the Ugly Family what was it uh, yeah Eel Gillespie and Stosh or which one were you I forget which one it's the other way around yeah Eel O'Brien Eel and Stosh Gillespie there we go yeah, <laughs> yeah Eel O'Brien of course was the Secret Identity of Plastic Man who was my favorite character and <laughs> Stosh Gillespie is a combination of Dan Klaus I guess his father wanted to name him Stosh and his Ooh. mother wouldn't allow that and his middle name's <laughs> His middle name's Gillespie, so that's where that came from. Oh, okay. Oh, and I'd be remiss not to mention, first time my name appeared in print was when I was like 13 in Famous Monsters of Filmland, which was, uh, was actually in an article as opposed to like the letters page and stuff, because me and about 10 other kids corrected Forey Ackerman uh -oh. on who did <laughs> Boris Karloff's makeup and the ghoul. <laughs> And, and Flory was so cool that he would so like yeah I made a mistake and he did a whole article about it and put our oh, names in it oh, and junk. Cool. <laughs> um, uh, so which name was published? Was it uh, Michael or Mort or what? Yeah, it was it was Michael. Oh, yeah, okay. and <laughs> by an odd coincidence as well, it was the first famous monsters convention came uh, happened when that issue came out. So I went to it. That was my first convention and got to meet Forey and got an autograph and go that's me and I don't think he knew what I was talking about <laughs> <laughs> but he signed it anyways oh that's cool and the, co the cover was a wax museum cover by Ken Kelly oh I remember that one yeah <laughs> I guess probably like 20 years later or yeah like 20 years later I worked with him on the Kiss book at Marvel and junk so wow it's a weird thing and that that's just it I've gotten to work with all the comic artists and stuff I, I really loved as a kid because by the time I was working in comics no one would give them work you know <laughs> mm -hmm. now, now you I mentioned Marvel is Marvel the first uh, comic company you worked for or was it actually Crash no actually uh, DC I did DC a, I okay did some, yeah I wrote some Superman 
Man stories for Julie Schwartz and Nelson Bridwell, and that was a gas too, because you know I, uh, I was just such a geek. I like <laughs> wanted to do all kinds of you know retro type stories, and uh, this is just as they were turning into that John Byrne, right? You know, recon, retcon thing. So, uh, so I got kind of squeeze squoze out then, but oh. that was about when when crack started so now on the DC stories how did you get that did you meet Julius at a Julia at a convention or nope just sent in some mailed some plots how dare you (laughs) I know right and what was really cool is like Nelson Bridwell was was, uh, would go through them Mm -hmm. and he liked mine and so you know called me up we I went in to meet him and boy he was such a great guy Nelson Bridwell yeah and as I've said before, like, uh, you know, Nelson did tons of reprints at DC, edited them, and he was a big influence on how I did the, the uh, cracked reprints because he would do them by theme mm-hmm. and then also have, like, historical backgrounds about, you know, the stories and the creators and junk. Right, and you got him to write for Crack later, so that was pretty cool. Indeed. Yeah. yeah, he died, you know pretty soon after that which was a real shame and yeah, yeah. He, you know he he was just he was probably like the one of the comic book comic books first fans ever you know that like trans went into it went into the industry you know mm-hmm. he was a big collector he lived on the lower east side and had in his insane collection i was just i visited him a couple times there and i was just like oh my god <laughs> Now, just, when I when I came at DC, we just make all we both make all these obscure jokes about you know Candorians or you know just, <laughs> just ridiculous <laughs> joke based on mindless trivia that only he and I would ever get. You know? Now, when you were working there, did you just hang out in the office or did you just come in occasionally? How did that work? Yeah, it, it, it was occasionally. I wasn't yeah. there all the time and stuff. But, yeah. Oh boy. Julie Schwartz, though, too, just as an editor, was was a real education because, um, you know, just in a couple words, he would he would, you know, give me the experience of decades, you know, like storytelling and junk like that. So, so then, pretty good. Moving on to cracked, of course. Uh, well, did that happen concurrently, or did it just happen and fall in your lap? No, it was a little bit later. Uh, Actually, I I also should mention. Um, uh, when I was, I guess when I was 19, I sold a TV pilot about these uh, teenage rock and roll superheroes. Yeah. That was called, the, they were called the Ultimates. And because uh, uh, a friend and I were going to film school then, and uh, Kevin McMahon, mm-hmm. who did uh, all our photo work at Cracked Later, and who went on to produce like the Geraldo show and Howard Stern TV and stuff like that. But, um, so yeah, we'd sold this pilot when we were 19 to this German production company, mm-hmm. and they shot the pilot in New York, all you know, rebel underground, like shooting on subways without permits and having robots fight these teenagers and junk. And it was like a teen superhero rock band that were in these red and black outfits that were a lot like the Thunder Agents outfits, if you remember that those yeah. red and black ones they were, <laughs> and. Uh, we had a few people in it that became celebrities later on, but the, the team consisted of a guy and two gals, and the guy was actually Dan Klaus, the actor. 
really good. So my friend Kevin's passed away, but I got all the tapes, and I got some some velvet morning. I want to edit it. Because okay, I was just wondering where did it all go? Do you still have it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because because he he did a final edit. Mm-hmm. He even has a little bit of animation in it, and mm-hmm. special effects, and we were also you know we were just such geeks. We did a lot of like uh, you know in camera effects with mirrors and pull focus and miniatures and junk. But um, so we sold the pilot, but it never got picked up as a series. So we just have that one pilot. Did it ever air? Or was nah, it? Oh, that's nah, too bad. Yeah. <laughs> and the right the rights reverted back to us. But we we shot it like with a real kind of sixties you know sensibility to it. Oh. So uh, you know, I, I last saw it probably like five years ago, and it, it wasn't dated at all because you know we did it sort of like a live action animation. So oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, the only thing that dates it is is the location stuff in New York because it was like eighty eighty one. So. Oh God! It was just such a dump, you know. It was just like say, New York's totally changed. <laughs> yeah, like, that's the only thing that dates it, but it also makes it look post-apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was that. So that was like when I was nineteen. So I was figuring, all right, I sold the TV script, man. It's all smooth sailing from here. That- <laughs> And as we know, to this day, it's never smooth sailing. It's like, you know, lots of potholes all the way in life. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, okay, I was a cracked reader since the 70s, and then you kind of came on the scene out of nowhere. Thank goodness he came out right after Paul Lakin had taken over and took it away from him. But, but... Uh, uh, I never once considered, I don't know, maybe it was just me, I always thought of Mad as like the the gold standard or whatever, and I never, I never contributed, I never thought about it or anything. How did you fall upon it to, to even consider working there, much less contributing to it and even eventually becoming the editor? Right. Well, it was his interesting story, because... <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, so when I moved to New York, I went to uh, Parsons School Design for a year mm-hmm. and was doing illustration. And then, you know, I started getting work doing illustration. So I was like, screw this. What am I paying money for this? So <laughs> I ended up going to school of visual arts for film and TV. And then I sold my, my pilot. So I was like, screw this. So, <laughs> but regardless, <laughs> uh, I met one of the first people I met was Pat Redding. And she is a phenomenal talent in her own right. She's a, a incredible illustrator and, and a funny as heck. Mm-hmm. But uh, before I was at Cracked, she actually got a job as a assistant editor to Larry Hama at Marvel. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had previously done Crazy right. magazine. And so uh, when I'm a little out of breath, I just moved and I've been on. <laughs> Oh, okay. um, <laughs> it's but uh, uh, so she so so when the, these new publishers in New York bought cracked from uh, from Sproul um, Robert Sproul right and I keep right. mixing him up with Bill it's Robert Sproul yeah Bill who was based in, yeah, yeah <laughs> who was based in Florida so the New York publishers bought it and moved it up to New York and so you know they needed an editorial staff mm-hmm. and so uh, I don't know how they got in touch with Lake and probably the same way they got in touch with me 
I'll have to ask Hama sometime, but I'm sure Hama was in deep in G.I. Joe at that point, so he's he like... Not, oh, yeah, yeah. He, had, he had tons of better things going on. <laughs> and Because uh, <laughs> he liked so, his crazy years, but he doesn't regret it ending, so I know that about right. him, because I've talked yeah. to him before about... <laughs> so, uh, as uh, some of your listeners may not be aware, Lakin had worked for every humor magazine in existence, and mm-hmm created a few of his own and you know and he wasn't he was kind of regurgitating his old stuff so the publishers realized pretty quickly that yeah. you know that it wasn't really appealing to the youth market and so <laughs> they <laughs> so they were looking for someone you know hipper <laughs> to come on as like a the assistant editor or something like that so they called Larry again and thanks to my good friend Pat, she suggested me, and so I went up for an interview. And uh, they would like, they were like, "What would you do with the magazine?" And you know, and I gave a critique of what had come out so far with the Lakin books, and so I guess I liked what I had said. And uh, you know, they were like, "Well, what would you do for the magazine?" So I actually said, "Well, you know what? Tell you what, I'm gonna do." And then uh, they started looking for another editor. 
I was the only one that saw like what the print schedule was, I guess, or something. So I just started putting the books out myself, and you know <laughs> they weren't having any luck finding an editor. And then finally, they were like, "Oh, you've been doing the book." <laughs> and then, yeah. and then once they saw the numbers, they were like, "Okay, you're the editor." Yeah. Well, you came in just at the right time because I, you know, I had started buying. I, I had always bought crack kind of off and on during the later several years, and then when Crazy went away, I started to buy it regularly. And then uh, when Lakin came in, I go, "Oh no, not Lakin again!" And I was about ready to give it up. I just said, "Okay, I can't buy this crack stuff." And you came in just like at the right time, like at the fourth or fifth <laughs> issue, where it's like. Okay, oh, here's something different. Okay, let's give it a try. And then you turned it around pretty quickly once you took over. So it's like, okay, I like this. You're getting some new people in here. And hey, wow. And then later on, you got some really good people. But, um, which is my next question. You know, it's like you got some different people like Steve Ditko and, uh, yeah, stuff. Dr. Severin, he was my, he was my first hire because, like, I mean, I just love Ditko. So, I mean, I, I think I've asked this before, but not on, you know, a podcast, but it's like, were these friends of yours or just heroes or you just wanted good quality artists or what, what yeah. combination? No, I, I, I didn't know him, you know, he didn't know me from Adam, so yeah. I just called him up out of the blue. This was back in the day when they had phone books and he was in, he was in the phone book. Yeah. So I called him up and within like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, he was in my office. Uh-huh. With with it, with his portfolio to prove that he could do. That. <laughs> I, I know, right? And I was like, "Come on!" I used to draw a couple minor characters. I think you might have heard of them: <laughs> Spider Man, Doctor Strange. <laughs> so we became fast friends, and I would say, yeah, I would say that he and Ditko and Severin were like big influences on me when I was younger. Yeah. And then as an editor, they were big influences on me on everything because you know I'd, I'd be on the phone with Severin I don't know like almost every day for hours and then <laughs> Ditko would come to the office you know pretty pretty constantly and stay for hours and mm-hmm. we'd just talk about everything and yeah it was pretty good so so yeah we had a good mix of uh, you know car, the artists that I liked growing up because you know we got like you know of course Severin and Ditko but like you know Gene Colan and uh, damn you, you name it plus a lot of the regular cracked artists like Rick Martin and I got Bill Ward to come back to the magazine because he, he got screwed over too but <laughs> uh, and, and then I got a lot of people who you know admittedly were my friends yeah like like Klaus and Alter Dot and, and even Pat did some work Pat Redding and uh, so it was a, a fun combo of classic veteran cartoonists and a lot of the youngsters like Bag and other people that are now living legends themselves. Right. I know one, <laughs> and I'll let you say it, but I know one, but are there any, but was there anybody back then that you tried or didn't even try to get that you wish you had gotten at that time? <sighs> I know one, and I'll tell you. But. Who that? Uh, Kirby. Oh, <laughs> yes. you mean like the mad? Yeah. There were some mad people. Well, well, or, well yeah. yeah, mad people, but it, just in general, just uh, you, you said that you kind of regretted never asking to, to see if they would do any work on Cracked. You know, and I think you said when I talked to you before, Jack Kirby. It oh, for sure. I don't yeah. know why I never thought of Kirby, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know why. I might have been just too, you 
shame on yeah, that. Yeah, they thought. <laughs> I know, right? Sometimes they thought artists were too cartoony or right up comic booky as opposed to cartoony or something. And yeah. you know, as I've said before, they really hated Dan Klaus's work, and so I had to sneak that in. And <laughs> there were a few other artists that you know I had to turn them around about. But yeah, I don't know why I never thought of Kirby. And likewise. Uh, when I started the uh, Monsters Attack, mm-hmm. there were a few artists that uh, I tried to get that that didn't work out, and I should have tried Kirby then too. I'm just <laughs> retarded. I was like um, <laughs> at, Mar- at, Mar- <laughs> at Marvel, you, I, I got to do some stuff with Kirby, but not art. I got him to do some writing and chunk, but yeah. Um, but yeah, like at, at uh, Monsters Attack, I tried to get George Evans. You, mm-hmm. you know his work. Yes. To do uh, uh, a, um, a World War One flying ace story, like like, about a, like a society C or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this was a, a, a like an aerial dogfight World War One with a French werewolf and a German vampire. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, nah, I don't think so. But he goes, you might want to try, you know, John Severn. You might want to try Severn. <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know Severin. So yeah. <laughs> John, <laughs> John actually did draw it, and it never got published. And mm-hmm. it is going to be a bonus feature when I finally get around to collecting the Monsters Attack book. And and when is that supposed to come out? I uh, help oh. you with your Kickstarter. When when when? <laughs> yeah, I think it, okay. it'll come out around 2014. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get in my time machine. Ah, oh, there it is. <laughs> oh. Well, the thing is, it's like this thing is metastasized because originally I was just going to print some of the comics right. and that's how I initially uh, pitched it and then I was like nah I guess I should do the articles too because that's part of it yeah. and so I don't have the mechanicals for the articles and just scanning it would look like crap so right. <laughs> I've got them completely retypeset mm-hmm. putting in new photos and then I was like you know what that's not enough either because yeah. I'd, ri- I'd written some introductions to the stories and memories and junk, but my brain ain't so good. So I ended up interviewing uh, <laughs> Cliff, Cliff Mott, who was my art director at Cracked and Monsters Attack about those days. So we got this really long interview that goes into all kinds of fun stuff about Cracked and Monsters Attack and drinking with cartoonists and mm-hmm. all kinds of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, that's that's a good story, and it is in the book. If you're cracked, you're happy, but we will tell it anyway. Um, how did you get Monsters Attack started in the first place? Oh, by being devious. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm having you just say this one. I like this story. <laughs> right. It's basically the same way I became editor of Cracked. It's just being underhanded. <laughs> <laughs> so it was um well because we I always liked you know all the monster humor magazines that Cracked did like. Uh, you know, for Monsters Only, and they would do a lot of reprints with monster themes. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, uh, doing a few of those collections, and I put them under the title Monster Party, Cracked Monster Party, right. which, as you may know, is a play on Mad Monster Party. I never thought that. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, the Harvey Kurtzman, Jack Davis, Rankin Bass. Right. Uh, thing. So I was like, ah, Mm-hmm. And the thing was, is you know, we were using all these artists like Severin 
Ken and Pat Boyette and Ditko, Graham Morrow, and I was like, these guys can do legit horror, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course, as I said, I was a big fan. I first published my name in Famous Monster, and I like Creepy and Eerie. Mm-hmm. And all these artists had worked at Creepy and Eerie and even EC Comics and, you know, Tales from the Crypt and all that stuff. So I was like, I want to do a serious horror magazine. And the publishers were like, yeah, 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 yeah. And kept putting me off and everything. So finally, <laughs> I, <laughs> I took it upon myself to, like, order a UPC for the magazine and schedule printing time without telling the publishers. <laughs> and so I, I totally put out the first issue without their approval at all. And they were super pissed and then canceled it immediately. <laughs> and, my, <laughs> and much like, uh, you know, other things that I've done, like the Ugly Family and Junk, they slowly, you know, they saw the sales numbers and they were like, mm, you know what, we're going to put that Monsters Dark magazine back up. <laughs> and... I can't remember the, the space I, I, between the first and second issue, but it might have been like half a year or something like that. Cause, yeah. You know, originally I want to do, I think, bi-monthly or something. But Yeah. So we got it going again, and then by the time, like, I was putting together this fifth issue, I was just, I wasn't really enjoying, uh, you know, my stay there at Crack. It had been like five years and stuff, so that's when I departed mm-hmm. and so the, the editors that took over didn't really have a feel for the magazine so right. did you do the I forgot did you do the last issue the fifth issue or no I commissioned uh, probably like half of it okay, okay. And, and then they did the rest and like it, it, the, like the stories they commissioned were more like crime than horror it, yeah, maybe, yeah you know <laughs> Well, I never saw the I I never saw the first or the fifth one on the stands. In fact, the fifth took me years to find that one. It was like so I don't even know if it was distributed very well. But you know, I, yeah. but two, three, and four I found easily. But you know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it just it, it just said the fifth one. I, I I'd never really read the fifth one until you know probably the last five years or so, and yeah, it just seemed a little lackluster. <laughs> But it had, you know, it had some of the articles I commissioned and comics and stuff, but, you know, (laughs) be that as it may. (laughs) So, um, the, uh, the big question, and I devote a chapter to this in the book, but how and why did you lure Mr. Don Martin, Mad's maddest artist, into the cracked fold? Why, did you ask? Yeah, how and why? (laughs) <laughs> I think the why would be obvious. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, fine. But <laughs> <laughs> because it's Don Martin, of course, you know. Because, like I said, as a kid, I was just into everything, and I had all of Don Martin's paperbacks and yickety yackety and everything. I was just, you know, all every kid, even kids that weren't into comics, loved Don Martin stuff, you know, and would like, you know, etch it into the into their school desks and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, like, him, you know, Don Martin and Ratnik, like, you'd see that stuff everywhere right, with, right. with kids that didn't even care about comics. Um, well, I, I guess why, um, in the standpoint of why did you think you could get Don Martin, you know, 
that would be the why, not why yeah. why consider Don Martin. <laughs> of course, you'd want <laughs> you'd want all the good, best artists and funniest artists in your magazine. But you know, <laughs> that's what it. Well, what happened by an odd coincidence? Uh, <laughs> my girlfriend at the time, her mother was a literary agent and was friends with the lawyer with a lawyer who wrecked on. And so, you know, it must have come up that I was a cracked and everything and you know, that Don wasn't happy at that and would would I be interested or something like that. So I was like, Would I Hairless <laughs> no <huh? laughs> Yeah. So uh so yeah, I called him right up and you know, we worked it worked it out pretty too sweet that you know, you'd get the same page rate and as opposed to Matt, he'd be able to own his original art and also own the copyright to his work, which he hadn't had for like 30 years at, at Matt. Mm-hmm. So it was a no-brainer, and it made world headlines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it is the first time, you know, I, I've said this before, you know, it's like people think, how did you not know this, that, and the other? And it's like, well, if you go back 30, 40 years, there was no internet in the way it is now. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you just kind of found out news. And if there was comic book news, it was never about cracked. It was always about the regular <laughs> big two, you know, or... Or nothing, you know. It's so if Crack changed ownership, I didn't know about. It. Just suddenly, one issue was Sprawl, and then the next one was Lake, and I go, "What happened here?" And then, you know, it's the same thing. Don Martin, though, I did get a heads up because I did see a couple pieces ahead of time saying Don Martin's coming to Cracked, and in fact, that press release I think was like three or four months before he actually appeared and I go, is this really true or is that an April Fool's joke? <laughs> and then finally he appeared, you had a, you, like, it was a Severn cover and you had a, a little Don Martin figure pasted in the corner yeah. so, you know, even you said, I think, that was like a last minute thing for that issue. Yeah, that was that was as quick as we could go because of our lead time, sure, that, you know, as yeah. soon as everything got signed we're like, let's do it. Yeah. And even that first cover he did, uh, the, uh, the next issue, yeah. even that was, I think, right on the spur of the moment, because that was a piece of art he'd already done, so it wasn't like a new piece. We just repurposed it with a cracked infinity cover. Right. <laughs> you just scribble out mad. And <laughs> no. Yeah. No, no, no. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, he, was, he was a great guy, fun guy, and I think he and all the other mad artists had been kind of, yeah, kind of enslaved at the magazine. I mean, admittedly, you know, they got great page rates and good exposure, but they also kept them pretty much like indentured servants. Yeah. It's like uh, I'd heard from artists that, like, you know, if an ad agency wanted to use use an artist, they yeah. wouldn't forward their information to them. Yeah, you know, I've heard that. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at Jack Davis; he became a millionaire because he got blackballed from that. Yeah. You know, he, he had to find other work, whereas, like, more Drucker, like, what, he did, like, American Graffiti movie poster. Yeah, that's about and it. That was pretty much it, yeah. He did a few, he did a few album covers here and there, but, yeah, no, yeah, not the level of J- Davis, no. <laughs> right, and, and that was because, that was because probably, like, uh, Lucas was, like, you know, called Mad, and Mad was like, nope, we don't give out the addresses, and Lucas put in, you know a dollar's worth of effort to call information and get his number in Long Island or something. <laughs> <laughs> but that happened with Don a lot. He yeah. did he did do some advertising, you know. There was like um some I don't know if it's American 
American Airlines or, or some airline. He did a series of ads for airlines, mm-hmm. some airline in the late 60s, and mm-hmm. so there's stuff here and there, but they would go out of their way to not let their artists at that be used for campaigns, you yeah. know, for whatever reason. Now, do you think... Which, lo- go ahead. Well, it just cut down on the revenue of these artists, and I would think the exposure would help the magazine, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, now, do you think if Feldstein had stayed on at MAD for a few more years, you would not have been successful at luring Don or anybody else away? Oh, no, 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 because, I mean, you know, Don wanted to leave a long time Oh, okay, so you think you would still have been successful if Feldstein stayed? Because I kind of always think it was kind of the luck of the draw that, well, there's no loyalty there, and the editor has now changed, and I don't know if... You know, I guess people had some sort of allegiance to Meglin and Fakara, but not the same type yeah. of thing, you know. Yeah, it was. It, I think it was more Danes because, you know, I, I tried to get uh, more Drucker yeah. and uh, talked with him, and he, he basically said, well, you know, uh, I needed some heart surgery a couple of years ago, and Bill Gaines advanced me the money, so I feel like, you know, I owe these yeah. Well. Whereas, you know, that was another thing too with with um, like Don Martin and Severn at, at practice. We had health plan, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like we paid at all, but they could join our health plan, so it'd be a lot cheaper if they did it themselves. And right. you know, so and Matt didn't offer anything like that. So a lot of those artists were just getting old and, right. and had had medical expenses, and you know, gained gained to lend you the money at who knows what kind of interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, the other people that went over, like Lou Silverstone and uh, Jerry DeFusio and things like that, uh, did you approach them or did they approach you or is it a combination? Or? Uh, I, I don't remember with Lou. I'm pretty sure he got in touch with me because um, he probably he, he was probably doing stuff for about a year for us under pseudonyms before. Yeah. I guess he got outed by by a disgruntled crack artist. <laughs> and <laughs> you can and, read about it in the book. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, so when I was getting ready to leave, you know, I wanted to make the transition as easy as possible. So mm-hmm. I think I yeah, I'd already had uh, had Jerry as an like an associate editor though. He okay. didn't really come into the office or do anything. And uh, so I set up Lou to take over. And Jerry is um, was uh, John Severin's cousin-in-law. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Jerry. Jerry was is, was uh, John's wife Mickey's cousin. Yeah. So they they had been you know they'd been together since the forties or earlier you know. So. Mm-hmm. And and Jerry like like Nelson Bridwell was one of the first you know legit comic book fans you know from the 40s and 50s that you know were fanatical about collecting but also finding out who creators were and you think it was tough in the in the 80s to find out information about comics imagine in the 40s right Uh, let's 
see. So, you know, the what's the basic reason you left Cracked? Was it just you had it done enough, or you just were getting frustrated? Uh, yeah, it was a little like, um, you know, because, I, I mean, you might even know better than me how many books I was putting out a month or a year, you know. I think it's probably something like at least 30 books a year. Well, yeah, you yeah, have the regular Cracked, which is almost monthly, yeah. and then the yeah. Collector's Edition and the Monster One and the other Monster yeah, and, One. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, people go like, oh, they're reprints, you know, so that must have been easy, but, you know. Well, you put a little still, carrot to them, you know. It's like, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and there's all the behind-the-scenes stuff. It's like, you know, the printers say, oh, we can't find the film for this story or something like that, where it's, <laughs> you know, we either had to recreate it or figure out what other issue it was reprinted. So, you know, it's just not like, you know, we were churning that out effortlessly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I had, like, part-time assistant editors every now and then, but I really wanted a full-time assistant editor. Mm. And I was getting paid well. I didn't mind that, but I just wanted more time off, and you know, because I like traveling and junk, and <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, we just came at loggerheads, and you know, I I think um, in retrospect, I think they were kind of squeezing me out, the publishers, because yeah. you know they sold it fully to Globe soon after, right? And I I think they were trying to give them a package that would be, you know, pro that was profitable and cheap to produce. So that's why they wouldn't make any more hires or, you know, other stuff. And um, so, yeah, so, you know, when I left, they had to replace me with, what, like three or four editors? You yeah, know, well, at least two, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was like your assistant anyway. But hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now, what, what did you do immediately after? Did you go... Uh, well, yeah, just what did you do immediately afterwards? Well, I, I, start, I started my own company because this was, um, you know, because like when, um, you know, Klaus and I and a few others did that Psycho Comics, that was like early 80s, just as the direct sales was starting. Mm -hmm. And so we did direct sales for that and did kind of okay. So this would be the late 80s, and so I started my own company, and... Uh, I did a collection of Bill Ward's art called The World of Ward, shot from his originals, and I got Steve Ditko to do a new Mr. A series, and I had Poquito, which was a bilingual Spanish comic, like <laughs> Dennis the Menace, and Vic Martin, and George Glatter, and a few other crack people, and but the direct sales market, they, they only wanted, you know, mutants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They only wanted X Men. So, like, even with Mr. A by Ditko, uh, I was going to do that as a color book. And the first issue was solicited for a thousand copies. And I was like, there's no way I could afford to print it. Because, get this, this was pre digital, right? Yeah. So, back then, to do a color comic, each page for color separations alone was a thousand dollars. So that each book would have cost like thirty two thousand bucks, not counting, you know, paying Ditko and stuff. Were and you so, were you still laying things out on boards and stuff like that? You know, at that point or was it all transitioning to digital? No, no, digital really didn't didn't happen until like really late nineties in, yeah, in comics. Okay. Yeah. So this, yeah. So this was like you know, ten years before okay. that. So. 
you know, because I know it was that decade things started changing, but I didn't know. Yeah. I'm just trying. No, but we, yeah, we were still doing, you know, like the, the color separations, like old school, and boy, oh boy, it was expensive back then. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and now all those companies don't exist anymore, and now you can do separations for free. Yay. <laughs> Thanks to Photoshop. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> and all the artists are gone. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> no. but, but I like the fact that, you know, I, I grew up right during the transition because, yeah. you know, like those record covers I was telling you about, I, I would do hand separations with those. Oh, wow. Where you would do like, you know, 16 layers uh, on top of the artwork oh, for every, every color and every graduation. And so a lot of those covers I did without seeing the actual color until it was printed, you know, and knowing like, okay, 25% red and 30% blue, give me a light green, you know. <laughs> in, in your education uh, at the school, uh, was it more for graphic arts or uh, what was what was your emphasis then? I mean, uh, Well, yeah, the, the, well at Parsons, the first year was, um, you know, it was like called foundation. You know, so, like, you just learned all the stupid, basic stuff, which, you know, like, I had already been, you know, printing and publishing and doing advertising and record covers, so, you know, it was just basically goofing off, and so, <laughs> you know, I didn't really learn anything about technique or production, I, that's all, everything's self-taught, you know, oh, wow. and the same yeah. with, like, with computers, I had to self-teach myself everything for, you know, with Photoshop and production and you know it, like I said it helped it, it, uh, it cracked it was a crash course because you know I didn't uh, you know I didn't know about production really you know like making sure the pages are the right size and you bleed <laughs> and you trim and all this stuff so you know I learned pretty quickly yeah I was going to say you so, learned pretty quickly no, I never it? had any real formal education for any of this stuff <laughs> Because <laughs> I never noticed at Crack you had any mad number 151 errors, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, what was that? <laughs> that was the one where the cover's way off center and it says, Mad Salutes the Printing Industry. <laughs> uh, that one, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's to say that once, once I learned stuff, I tried to, you know, do funky stuff, like when we do flip books or something, you know, with like half the book upside down and right. junk. Which, yeah, and you did that pretty you know, early on, too. That was like your fourth or fifth issue that you did that where your yeah. editor is like wow yeah. and that's just it printers would be like what? you set these pages upside down yeah. you know, like, <laughs> I know <laughs> it's, it's even tougher now to try and do that digitally because you know there's no one you can talk to about it because it's all you know computer yeah. going like this book is rejected or something yeah. yeah it's not supposed to be upside down uh, <laughs> Now, uh, the Marvel books I'm familiar with, you said you worked Marvel earlier, those Monster Menace and the uh, Tales of the Weird, which I didn't see those when they originally came out. Curse I was, of the Weird. Curse of the Weird, sorry, Curse sorry. Curse of the Weird. Curse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it in front of me. I don't have my script today. Uh, how did those come about? Were you uh, just asked to do those or you volunteered to do those how, how, because I don't think a little asked. of both oh okay a little of both because um, when I got, I got hired to start my own imprint at Marvel the Marvel Music Books right and it you know it took about a year to get all contracts signed and get 
money and <laughs> thought I wasn't really working. <laughs> so he was like, I want you to do these reprint books and like, like what kind of stuff would you want to do? And I was like, horror and crime, you know, because it's like they got enough superhero shit. Or kind of yeah, so, oops, yeah. I just swore on your podcast. Oh, fuck. And um, <laughs> so they said, okay for, they said, okay for horror, but not crime, which is yeah. a shame because, mm-hmm. you know, oof, I would love to do some crime books. <laughs> and because um, they, they did, obviously, did tons of pre, pre-code crime in the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, come up with four different horror books, four issues each, and, you know, we'll, we'll spread it out over a year. And I was like, no, we'll do four horror books, four titles at the same time. I want to get these out of my way. <laughs> you know, so, so I ended up doing a book a week for 16 weeks. You know, they, they would be, they were shuffled. So, and I came up with four different kinds of horror. I came up with, um, Curse of the Weird was some pre-code, but it was all, you know, it was all spooky. Uh, you know, Ditko and Russ Heath and Kubert and just, just oddball stuff. And I did Monster Menace, which was all their giant monster stuff, you mm-hmm. know, by Kirby and Ditko mostly. And then I did um, Book of the Dead, mm. which was uh, Frankenstein from the 70s and, and Man Thing. And that had some nice painted covers on it. Yeah. And the, the other book I did was my one, you know, acquiescence to uh, superheroes. But I did Dracula versus. So it was four <laughs> issues, four number ones of like Dracula versus X Men, Dracula versus Spider Man, Dracula <laughs> versus Silver Surfer, <laughs> and um, gosh, what was the other one? Dracula versus some other superhero. <laughs> so, <laughs> Poor Bushman, okay. So, uh, so and, and, and foolishly, stupidly in retrospect, I should have gotten Gene Coleman to do all these covers, but I was just being such a little snot that I was like, <laughs> hey, I'm going to get all the, you know, the groovy superhero artists to do these covers and but, stuff. But, but, you know, but aren't you still? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs> Snobby senior. <laughs> Snobby senior. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this time it's with real mucus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, on those books, uh, did you have access to the actual original art, or did you have scans, or what oh, would you do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what was so fun yeah. is that Marvel had um, they had this uh, they had a vault of, of stats. Hmm. And so uh, I would go over there and visit a lot and dig up the original stats from the 50s and stuff and go like, because sometimes you get the film that already had the color. Yeah. But, you know, this is like, you know, shitty, you know, 70s comic book color. Yeah. Mostly. Because your your books look pretty sharp, so that's what I thought. You either did stats or originals or something. Right. No, mostly I tried to find the original stats and Mm -hmm. uh, have them recolored like that that Bill Everett zombie story and stuff. I was just like, when I found that. Because all those stats are in disarray. They were not in Mm -hmm. any alphabetical order or anything. And every now and then I'd come across like 1940 stats with like Submariner and Human Torch and I'd be like, wow. (laughs) You know, and then I'd find like a Craigstein or an old Joe Cooper or some Wally Wood stuff and I'd be like, yes. (laughs) And what was very convenient is this Marvel vault. It wasn't at Marvel itself. Blocks away, and it was a block. It was right across the street from uh, from one of my favorite uh, 
stars Billy's Topless, <laughs> which was a which was a legend at Marvel. I mean, I'm not at Marvel in New York. Oh, okay. And I've been going there since you know I moved here basically, and it was like an old school topless. It was like a neighborhood bar, but it had you know had dancers, and I got to you know become friendly with many of them, date a few of them. And uh-huh. <laughs> I, I assume it's long gone right now. It's typical of it. Yeah, well, yeah, they they were phasing it out, and they changed the name from Billy's Topless to Billy's Stopless. And then, yeah, after <laughs> Stopless? But, but there were a lot of gals that worked there that went on to other things. Like, like I, I, I'm pretty sure Goldie Hawn was working there in the early 60s. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And the guy who ran it was a riot. He had one of those old, he was in the Flatiron Building and had one of those old offices, like a Hollywood producer with tons of photos on the wall of burlesque stars and everything, chewing on a cigar. And all that. It's like <laughs> old school. But yeah, Billy's was great. And like I said, I met a few girls there. They're really nice girls. And uh, so that was what was cool. see them until years later because I didn't even know about it because by the 90s me and Marvel were not good friends so uh, <laughs> but those are really good books and it's like why I think my opinion is they kind of just got lost in the shuffle unfortunately and, yeah yeah, and yeah. they just weren't you know they weren't X-Men yeah and uh, and that's just it on you know on Facebook uh, like I said you know I get I get uh, different crowds that follow me some of them are because of those books you know yeah yeah. And don't know, you know, that I did Cracked or yeah. these record covers or the music books, and you know, so you get a lot of. Now, how, how long so does the music? Uh, how long does the music stuff last at Marvel? I know it was a few years, but not long enough. Yeah, about yeah. I think about three years because yeah. you know Marvel had big plans for it and they just couldn't follow up. Yeah. You know, they were talking about you know record store distribution, this kind of this that kind of. I was trying to do multimedia deals and Marvel wouldn't follow. stuff cut you know and I think <laughs> they stopped Star Trek and the Paramount comics and I think the last thing they did for a number of years was Mighty Heroes they did one issue of that of all things and Mighty, uh, the Terry Tube? yes they did one issue of it like in 98 and that was it they said no more licensed stuff we're just going to do our own superheroes I'm sure you were gone by that point but you know yeah. it's like and I go well, I'm done with Marvel too at this point. <laughs> yeah, because that's Thank the stuff you I for like. Me out. Yes. 
Um, well, see, and besides the music books, too, I tried to do some of the wacky licensing things. Like I did um, the Spumco comic. Did you ever see that? Oh, yeah, the comics books. Oh, we, we can't yeah. talk about John Kay now, but anyway. No, go ahead. Because uh, <laughs> that was like, a, you know, that was I think that was like the first tabloid book that Marvel had done in a couple decades. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure I can't think of it now, but yeah, and like with the Marvel music stuff, sometimes we'd have like CDs in the comic, or and do music videos, and or or computer games, like we did Rolling Stone comic that had an actual floppy disk, and mm-hmm. you could do this Dave McKean designed game in it and stuff like that. So. Yeah. I don't remember really all this stuff. Guy. I mean, I wish it continued. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Well, there were tons of other books, too, that we had ready to go that never got printed, like an Elvis book by Colin and Severin, mm. and um, the third book of the Bob Marley uh, Life, which which Colin did that had painted oils finishes by this Jamaican artist. and. Wow. But we're talking with people because, you know, these are all licensed, so the bands own, own the material and everything, so they can reprint them out. The Cooper book, I think, got reprinted a couple of times, and Dark Horse did it, and somebody mm-hmm. else. Well, even the comic book, the one you're talking about with John Kay, that was reprinted mm-hmm. in Dark Horse, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened is I put together four issues, yeah. and then Marvel canceled it after the first issue. Right. And so since since John owned the rights, yeah, I took it to Dark Horse. Okay. What was funny, too, is once I quit Marvel, um, I, I was visiting up in Maine for my uh, for our annual clam festival in my hometown, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I got a call from Gene Simmons, <laughs> from Kiss, because he was like, oh, I heard you left, and I was like, yeah. He's like, well, I've got a contract with Marvel. they got to put out my book or pay me like a million dollars or something. Wow. Like <laughs> so I was like, well, the book's almost done. He's like, yeah, but it's not done. So they made uh, Marvel hire me, <laughs> rehire me, uh, freelance. Wow. To, yeah, and so it was like, uh, like you know, this was what, mid-90s. I was getting $100 an hour to finish the book. Like lawyer money. Wow. <laughs> but the Marvel is probably like, this is cheaper than a lawyer. We'll pay him. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, I always thank Gene for that. Because that was a good bunch of money after I left. <laughs> and, and I'll see a lot of these bands every now and then since then. That's in cool. fact, that, like Karis One, I just found out was in town up here in Maine last week. And I'm sorry I missed them because... Hmm. Yeah, we did this cool comic with him and Kyle Baker that had an animated video that was in rotation on Yo! MTV. <laughs> and, uh, and that was a fun comic because it was like old school power records. Came with a cassette or a CD that you would follow along with a comic, you know, that had actors and music and sound effects. And it was just short of turn the page, you know. <laughs> <laughs> When Tinkerbell rings her little bells? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about Charlton Neo, but p- before that, uh, you went back to Cracked one more time when it was oh, like the maximum. You want to say anything about that or move on? <laughs> yeah, it was just, you know, these guys just had no idea what they were doing, you know? Yeah. As, as opposed to the current Cracked owners. Yeah. <laughs> which, 
Yeah, people ask me all the time, what's happened with Cracked? Where is Cracked? And it's like, it's a website. It's a website. It was owned by Demand Media, now it's owned by Scripps. You know, the actual legal aspect of it is kind of in limbo, but, you know, it's like, well, we'll figure it out. But, you know. Okay, that, enough about yeah, well, that. Okay. <laughs> Unless you have something I guess, else to say. I guess this was probably like, what, 10, 12 years ago or something, 15 years ago that. Um, this uh, Kuwaiti company had bought the magazine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Bought Cracked. <laughs> and yeah, and they were trying to put it out like a men's mag or something. And, and you know, after I'd left Cracked, I did toy with the idea of doing like more of a, what I wanted to do was like scale, slick magazine, like sort of like the format Rolling Stone was then, mm-hmm. you know, a little larger than magazine. Some comics, some articles and junk. So I saw this, it's sort of like, wow, yeah, that could work and everything. But after a few meetings with them, I just realized their editorial direction was like, you know, a lot of poo poo jokes and boobies and stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> man, this is more juvenile than what I was doing. <laughs> and also, <laughs> and also, the, you know, the page rates were ridiculous. Wow. They were just like, a fraction of what they were when I was at the magazine. And they also had, like, it was sort of, like, if you were an editor there, it was sort of like the the Lakin School of Editing where, you know, they would, the artists would get a crummy page rate and you'd get a kickback. That's how you got paid. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That part I didn't know. They wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't be making any money except off the backs of these other people. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just like, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so did you actually did you actually I forgot did you actually work on any of the issues or were you gone before they even put one out uh, uh, I think I think they had done they had done a dummy issue yeah and that, that's rarer than hen's teeth and I didn't even know about it when I did my books and I'd love to find one anybody out there if you have one just slip it to me right. it's not worth anything just give me one okay uh, 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 <laughs> but hen's teeth aren't worth anything right yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> but uh but no, I just saw their direction and also you know not to just slag anyone they, they had some people there that I knew from Marvel yeah working there on like um, on staff and everything yeah. you know like editorial not not creative in the least and I didn't have much respect for him in the first place so yeah. you know and they they ended up working at um, a couple of them ended up moving to Kuwait because mm. because like they they were planning like this big line of superheroes called you ever hear about this the 99 mm. which is based on some some you know Islamic tenet about 99 ideals or something so they were going to have 99 heroes that represent everything and they were going to have like get this, take uh, that Avengers yeah exactly well they even did a team up with the Justice League they did one issue with the Justice League or something but they were going to have like a theme park and this and that and I was like wait a second you got superhero chicks running around in spandex and you think this is gonna work in Kuwait <laughs> and it didn't so, so, so a couple of these guys ended up living in the Middle East for a couple of years and you know one of them was female and then it was just like god what are you that desperate for work <laughs> it was just crazy but so that failed and uh, yeah, crack failed and uh, oh. All right. Well, 
How did you get over, I mean, we're probably jumping years here, but I know you're doing the Charlton Neo stuff. I mean, did you just uh-huh. jump around different freelance things and finally land this or this gig? Well, or around, around 2000, I started a media company called Comic Fix. Okay. And um, I did uh, I did a couple newspaper strips for a while with like Speed Racer and I did a celebrity biography comic with Severin and I did a uh, interactive uh, soap opera comic and hmm. so that ran for a little while and that was called Molly the Model and uh, it was kind of based on my girlfriend at the time who was an aspiring model so it was just like <laughs> I got tons of material about that just how grievous it is to try and be a model (laughs) how much soap there is and um, so but then I was also doing a lot of uh, video and film and animation production most of the you know the the first decade of our new century (laughs) and uh, directed a bunch of music videos and I bought the rights to this uh, Italian photo comic called Sadistic well I named it it had a different name all over the world and uh, it's about this dude in a skeleton outfit that runs around committing crimes and <laughs> it's from the 60s and it's really fun and it uses a lot of uh, actors that were in a lot of European films like back then I mean the photo comics were big everywhere except in America <laughs> and uh, so it would be like you know if an actor in between films or TV series was like oh yeah I'll do a photo comic gig and stuff and like that's where Federico Fellini started and got his chops doing photo comics and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it's a weird hybrid of comics and film. So I got the rights to that and putting them out in English, and that was really fun. And then we shot a documentary <laughs> where we where we found a lot of the original um, actors and great, just really great anecdotes and stories. <laughs> and so I've been trying to sell that as a, as a new series, either film or. TV and stuff for a few years and every now and then it looks like I'm close to getting a deal but people get scared by it which kills me <laughs> it, it's it's like when you have like you know slasher films or crime films or even you know broadcast TV like uh, uh, sometimes on Gotham you know that show yeah. about pre-Batman like I'll see like you know throat slashing or beheading <laughs> stuff on broadcast TV and I'm like oh my god but like people will see you know this stuff and get scared by it and it's hmm. a photo comic from the 60s hmm. and it's definitely like PG-13 but there's something about it that just like triggers people and I'm like <laughs> you know I, I think that's a good thing yeah. You know, because it, 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 it really pushes the limit without pushing the limit. Yeah. I mean, it's like, come on, you know, so <laughs> whatever. But, uh, yeah, so uh, what happened with Charlton? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, in between, yeah, I've been doing tons of freelancing with comics and advertising and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Started a newspaper when I moved back to Maine in... Um, 2011 still got a lot of family up here and junk so you know I started a weekly comics newspaper up here that lasted about a year and used a lot of you know a lot of friends that I knew from that worked with it cracked and everything and we just couldn't get enough advertisers to, to make it work I mean it would have like movie listings and you know all their junk and everything and it was a free weekly but that didn't work, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've 
putting out my own comics. Tell me about your failures. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I've been putting out regular books through Comic Fix with, um, you know, Sadistic and other stuff that was mostly mostly by me. Mm-hmm. But then, um, when would this have been? 2014? Yeah, I think 2014. Uh, this guy, Mark Knox is his name, and he goes by the name Fester Faceplant. Oh, and okay. I know him. You know Fester? I do, yeah. by that name. <laughs> right? So, so he knew me. He was one of those guys who knew me from Back from the Grave record covers because he was punk you know, and everything. He knew I liked comics and stuff. So he added me to uh, this Charlton fan page. He started called the Charlton Arrow. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I checked it out, and there were a lot of people like, you know, like Paul Kupperberg, who I'd known from D.C., and Roger McKenzie, who I'd known as, you know, being a comic geek, as a writer of, you know, the, the early Daredevil that caused Jansen Daredevil, I mean, the um, Frank Miller Daredevil before Miller squeezed him out and oh, stuff, and, <laughs> and a bunch of other creators. And they were talking about starting a, a tribute comic to Charlton. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let me in, I want to be part of this. You know, so, <laughs> so I did a couple of stories for it and everything. And as it progressed, you know, because originally they were just going to do like a black and white Xerox fanzine and stuff. But as it progressed, for whatever reason, uh, Fester, you know, didn't couldn't make it happen. And everything. So I was like, let me do it. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I basically, you know, put it together as a regular full color comic mm-hmm. and. Uh, and it went from there. We, we've done, what have we done, like 10 issues of that. Mm-hmm. And all in all, I've, I've probably done about 40 books in the last four years that Charlton related. Because yeah. uh, everyone wanted to get involved. It's funny because a lot of the original Charlton veteran artists and writers, as well as, you know, m- more recent creators and stuff, they all wanted to do stuff. So, you know, we've done, I'd say it's probably about half and half uh new material and then uh, we do some reprints which are you know most like I, I don't just like scan the comics from the books for the most part we find, we find like the original stats mm-hmm. and like like we did like I did at the Marvel reprints and uh, you know I recolor them and stuff like that so so do yeah, you have access to all this stuff I mean I know that Charlton kind of sold off everything years mm-hmm. ago and DC got this and somebody else got this and blah 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 yeah well, yeah. well, no, that's just it. With people get in touch with me that have this stuff, like whether it's original art. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah, we're shooting from the original art, or okay. you know, they have the stats, the drawn stats and stuff. So, okay, you know, it depends. It's it's a mishmash, but it's all good. Okay, <laughs> like for, like um, I put out like eight books of uh, original Charlton covers from the '60s, and most of them by Dick Giordano, mm-hmm. and they were from. Uh, his, from Giordano's collection that I got through his assistant uh, that that willed him to him after he passed away, and so you know it's just like a couple hundred classic Charlton covers from the sixties hmm. that are just like really great. Of you know, I broke it into four genres. We got like you know all romance, all war, all sci-fi, and all what's the other one? <laughs> <laughs> I can never remember that fourth, <laughs> fourth genre. <laughs> you know, it's like humor, you know, no. romance, no. <laughs> war, 
Iron, yes. In fact, that's you know, the ones I've seen recently. You've been doing some recolorizations of, like, was it Billy the Kid or something like that? You know, things that oh, Severin did. Not, oh, that's just it, yeah. This, uh, the, the artist Bill Black, when he oh, was okay. at Charlton, yeah, he ended up uh, getting all the Severin stats for, for Billy the Kid. So, you know, it's like uh, over 100 pages huh. of uh, Billy the Kid by Severin that he did in the early 60s while he was at Crack and everything. Because, you know, back then he, he, was, he was doing like, he was doing over 100 pages a month, Severin, not oh, yeah. counting paintings and oh, yeah. covers and stuff. And, you know, it, it might have even been more like 150 pages a month, which is just phenomenal with the quality of work <laughs> that he was doing. So, uh, so yeah, we've got over 100 pages of Billy the Kid, so I colored them all. It took a couple years, but uh, so we have two color volumes and one black and white volume uh, all collected because it's kind of cool to see stuff in black and white, too, you mm-hmm. know, just to, just to pour over Severn. Because it is funny, like, getting back to the crack days, it's like whenever a Severn page would come in and Dicko was in the office, he would, like, hold the page and his finger and trace the lines over <laughs> the Severn art and everything. He's just, like, absorbing it, and that's what it's like. It's just, like, beautiful stuff that, you know, you can, you can try to own by absorbing the art. <laughs> forgive my forgive my ignorance. I should know this, but did Ditko and Severin ever cross paths prior to Cracked, or no? Hmm. I know they both worked at Marvel, but not at the same time. So yeah, I don't think so. Okay, um, I figured you might know better than me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I always wanted them to work together. Yeah, and uh, when I was at Marvel, uh-huh. I got the, I, I got an agreement from the Ayn Rand State to be able to do Fountainhead, I mean, uh, Atlas Shrugged mm-hmm. as a, as a mini series of graphic novels, mm-hmm. because I figured Ditko would love to do that. And uh, I don't know, are you familiar with the story? A little bit, yeah. but Because it, it, it's basically, it's a Doc Savage story. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's about, it really is. It, it, it's an incredible adventure story about everyone who is at the top, peak of their skills, you know? And what happens is, like, all these architects, engineers, artists, they disappear off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so it's a mystery what happened to them all. And uh, so it's, it's focused on this one woman who runs uh, this railroad line. And uh, so I was like, oh, man, Ditko would love to draw this, and I'll get Severin to ink it. You know, then it would be fantastic. And so the Ayn Rand state approved it. They were like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And uh, so I, I was talking with Ditko, and he's like, nah. Huh? I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, nah. He's like, I don't, I don't want to be responsible for, you know, drawing what these, you know, these characters look like because everyone has their own idea in their head of what, you know, all the characters look like. And I was like, what? So I told Ayn Rand state, and they were like, well, whatever Ditko does, we'll approve. <laughs> you know, and they were, he was still like, nah. nah. <laughs> did it ever come like, out? What? Did it? Did it ever come out? Not with Ditko, but just at all? Or no, no that's no, because no, <laughs> why bother? Well, I thought you might have had Severin do it or something. You could whip it out in the day. Yeah. That's just the thing, though. Too. That was. It's one of my biggest disappointments because that would, book would have been evergreen. That, oh yeah. Because I, I think something like. Uh, she and Mickey Spillane are like the biggest sellers after the Bible. 
the <laughs> books and print and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, so I mean, this thing would have sold forever. Yeah. Oh well. So it's a real shame, but <laughs> I can understand him. He he had his you know he had his reasons. Yeah. Well, he, he is a very interesting person. I, I can't say strange because I really didn't know him that well or any, at all, you know, but, you know, it's like I just heard varying stories, but uh, he just had his, his way. That's the basic mm-hmm. thing, you know, because I uh, there's a, I don't know if you're a member of the Facebook page of Letters by Steve Ditko. Yeah. Yeah, and so, sometimes he writes big, lengthy, like, eight-page letters to people, and it's like, okay, so he's not as strange as I thought, but, you know, at the same time, <laughs> he had his way of doing things, so it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, I just, I just was moving, and when I was moving, I found a letter from from Steve that I, I never opened. Oh. <laughs> and I still haven't opened it yet. I, I haven't found it yet. It's unpacking. the answer. But, open oh. it. Open it. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> So uh, you know what's funny? I was yeah. telling you about the sadistic, the photo comics. Yeah. Uh, so I sent him some copies, and like I said, it's about a super villain. So I was like, you know, this, it's possible he'd be like, oh, you know, this is horrible, you know, and all that stuff. But <laughs> just the opposite. He just wrote pages back about how much he loved it, <laughs> and that uh, you know, and the, the gals were all gorgeous, and and that he it inspired him to draw compositions based on the photos. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, I'd love to see those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that brings us to the present here. What are you working on now? Are you working on anything well, with me? Should we talk about it or no? Or <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, should we should wait and keep people Why not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we can announce here for the first time ever. Okay, so that, uh, let, let me do a preface to it. Okay, you're better. Is that uh, I was working with another writer, um, uh, Bradley Mason Hamlin, who I've done a lot of work with over the years. He's got an imprint called Mystery Island Publications, mm-hmm. and uh, he does like uh, pulp stories and poetry. And actually, he's got a new series coming out uh, called The Intoxicated Detective Digest. And the first issue will be out this month. And I've done all the covers for 12 issues, plus the interior, some interior illustrations. But he got in touch with Cracked, mm-hmm. as Cracked.com, mm-hmm. and wanted to pitch some comics. And they were basically, we have no interest in our past or in our comics or mm-hmm. anything like that and are not going to ever do anything like that. Yep. So I see that as open license yes. to do what we are going to do together, you and me, Mark. What am I doing? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> was this having to do where you held me at gunpoint and said, scan away, boy? Exactly. Okay, so... So, basically, you know, back in the day at Crackit, uh, you know, we... Actually, I guess, let me just say Crackit. That's how the French pronounce it. Crackit. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, I'd call up companies or whatever and say, like, yeah, I'm calling from Crack Magazine. They'd go, Crack Magazine? Crack? You got some crack? <laughs> you got you know, some crack? crack was Crystal meth? So, so, yeah, I knew this one girl, and she would always go, like, oh, Crack it. Crack it. So whenever I called after that, I'd go, like, yes, I'm calling from Crack it Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we've, we've made 
chimpanzee ninki. Uh, you know, we'd do the theme box. I would it do would the be a bomb, the exploding can. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I, w- I would do the theme book, so a lot of times we do, like, artist showcases. Yes. And, you know, we did Severn and Jack Davis. Yes. So I figured, uh, based on those stellar talents who are maybe both underappreciated nowadays since they're passing and yeah. new generation of comic fans, we had talked about maybe putting these collections out. And that's exactly what we're doing. Yes. We're going to do uh, the comedy of John Severin and the comedy of Jack Davis because we're not going to use the crack logo or any of their, you know, their trademarks and junk. Um, they don't have any interest in Sylvester, so I don't think that's a problem. Yeah, we'll finally get the dream of all those other editors to wannabes. <laughs> No cracks and no Sylvester. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But um, I think it's fair use to use um, cracked in the interiors yeah. because it's for historical purposes, historical and educational purposes. Yes. And it's fair use, and I actually have the uh, sectional code in the, in the uh, code somewhere that will put it. And... Um, but we won't use them on the covers, won't promote it, you know. Yeah. But we are writing about it on the Artist. inside, you know, you know, articles and other stuff, you know. You're fading. Where are you going? I don't know. Can you hear me? There you go. You went into a bag for a second there, a Peter bag. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it must be cracked or mad, like trying to screw it. Oh no, they're reprinting stuff. How dare they? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, fine. We'll reprint the complete lunaticle instead. Alright, is that okay? (laughs) So so I guess the Severn book is pretty much done and I'm going to start on the Davis one soon. (laughs) Complete wacko, that's what I meant to say. (laughs) So maybe we do a like a Kickstarter for it once the books are finished. So sure. because I've, I've had a few problems with Kickstarter, like with that monster tax book, I don't want to do any Kickstarters until yeah. these books are completely finished. You know? Well, as I've said before, <laughs> I'm trusting your judgment on this because funding is not my strong point. I have a Patreon page, and it's like I got one person, and it's like I'm sure you have a Patreon page and have a few people. I'm I'm one of your <laughs> I'm one of your biggest fans, Mort. Uh, so, no. So, I don't know beans about fundraising. I know how to do things and uh, put out things, but to get paid, well, hmm. Anyway. <laughs> we'll talk about this when we're not Yes, on yes, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying this to the general uh, Vox Populi, not me. Yeah. Uh, not you, I mean. Right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you about how we get Uncle Vinny to collect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or Larry Levine. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Are these guys... <laughs> I have to say, I shouldn't joke about them. Are those guys still around, the ones that were running cracked at the time you were doing it? Uh, i, I got to think that Larry is long gone. Oh, good. Okay, so I can say something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and even his, his kids, which were total freaking losers, if what? I can say that, uh, they're probably, yeah, they might still be locomoting. Um, Kenny... 
in his like 70s or 80s now it's okay. so weird because like when I was working with a lot of these veteran cartoonists that cracked you know they were like in their 50s Right, and I was like, "Damn, that's old." Yeah, now we're older than that. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, but yeah, yeah you know." Well, you yeah. did it at the right time. I mean, I told you this before, but I'll say it on the public record. You know, it's like when I found out how old you were, and you're just a few years older than me. I was so insanely jealous. You were editing uh, a humor magazine and getting all these cool artists and writers, and uh, you know. And then when you when you left, I was like, "Why did you leave?" <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you would have been even more jealous if you had seen my girlfriend's back. Well, they, weren't they all in the magazine wearing crack T-shirts and holding Sylvester? No, 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 <laughs> I figured they were the yours. <laughs> no, they were below the quality of the gals I'd be. Those were all actually. Those were all my friend Kevin McMahon's girlfriend. Oh wow. That weren't officially here in a t-shirt ad, hugging <laughs> a Sylvester plush doll. Well, you just always hung around cool people. I mean, even if she wasn't your girlfriend, I mean, you did befriend Baby BB Buell, who was a Playboy centerfold, and you know, in the well, book. that was when I was in high school. Yeah, <laughs> that was in Maine. Wow. That was in Maine when I was still in high school, when I was like 16, 17, because like. You know, I was like a little punk rocker, and wow. you know, she was she was visiting Maine and saw me at the Maine oh. Mall in my yeah. my fake leather. And, <laughs> and then she became the photo version of Nanny Dickering after a while. So yeah, you got her in yeah. the magazine, and the, you'll read in the book the story. We don't have to repeat it here of you know, the first appearances of Liv Tyler in yeah. <laughs> in print. Anyway, uh, well, yeah, that's just it. I met Liv when she was two. <laughs> I've never been to Maine. The closest I've been is Massachusetts, so it's like that. Ain't, that ain't nowhere near. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, Maine used to be part of Massachusetts. I did. We yeah. Broke away about about two hundred years ago. And I said, that's an oddball, oddball shape. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was Ma- the big Massachusetts with the Maine part on it. I was like, wow, who who designed that state? You know, I'm glad it broke into pieces. <laughs> You got good lobster back there. I've had that. <laughs> Damn straight, and it's cheap as hell. Yeah. It's like you find them on the street. You don't even have to go, you know, put out a lobster <laughs> pot. They're just like they're just like sitting on the sidewalk, and you just go out in the morning, and go like, yeah, this one looks good. And you got Bill Murray chasing him. Everybody, get out of here! There's a lobster <laughs> loose. Anyway. <laughs> All right, we're getting silly. Uh, or where were we for the last hour and a half? Um, any any uh, final thoughts or anything? Uh, anything you want to plug? Any any uh, anything else? <laughs> oh sure. Well, of course, people should visit morttaud.com mm-hmm. and check out all these totally fun books that are coming out or that I have out and are coming out. Also have uh, links to bunch of nutty videos I've done 
on real soon and start doing some podcasts. How dare you? Right. Oh, 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 yeah. very good. <laughs> I've already recorded a few, and because the thing is, like, you know, I've worked with a lot of great artists and still am, mm-hmm. and it, it'd just be great to record them. I, uh, soon after uh, Ditko died, I got a call from a Frank McLaughlin, who was, uh, he was the art director at Charlton and also well-known to fans of DC and Marvel Comics as a prolific inker and was, you know, Dick Giordano's assistant inker and all that junk. But he was, like, outraged that all these, you know, reports of Ditko being a weirdo and a stranger and outsider and all this stuff. So we did this incredible interview where, uh, you know, he tells some great stories about Ditko in the 60s and 70s and junk, which which are pretty enlightening. So I edited that, and I got that ready to go. I just, I, I just got to get the, figure out the tech a little more. And, um, I'll help you with that in exchange, in exchange that I can be a guest on your show one time. <laughs> Naturally more. All right, cool. Because, because I, you know, you, you've, you've got so many great books out that I Aww. can't believe. Aww. That are just so, that I mean I, I can't imagine they actually have a, a mainstream appeal because they're so good. Because <laughs> <laughs> like you know like total television and the RV stuff huh. and like you know I, I'm I don't know if you've noticed I've been coloring a lot of Harvey stuff lately. Yeah, yeah, and, Black Cat uh, and stuff. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. Well, but I also did a Baby Huey. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I love Black Cat stuff and, uh, you know, and all the Harvey horror and all that stuff. And, you know, for some reason, I had a lot of that when I was, was younger, and so I'm just getting back into it. But um, I, I, I'm pretty sure Black Cat is, is public domain. I, I might put a book of that out. Well, if you talk to the, I know, right? the Harvey the sons, they will claim otherwise, so I'll leave it at that. You're you're falling into a bag again or something. Where are you going? Really? No. Oh, now you sound right. Yeah. So, so okay. it's, it's it's funny. You you kind of fade off and then come back with a. <laughs> I, I did. I did actually just swivel in my captain's chair. Aha! No swiveling allowed. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. But uh, yeah, as far as current projects. Um, I know there must be something spectacular happening. Uh, I've got a book of uh, unpublished Pat Boyette jungle stories that are pretty cool. Yep. Um, doing a lot of work with Paul Kupperberg. We're going to do a uh, pretty Kickstarter soon. With uh, He's doing a book on how to write comics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's done some wacky romance comics that we're going to do a collection of. It's going to be a lot of other stuff, my my mind is overwhelmed. Oh, very cool. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's always so overwhelming in life. <laughs> uh, where are we? Got an hour and a half of this. I know. Now we beat uh, Milton Knight. So there, Milton. Ha. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Are you going to split these up into a two-parter? No, no, no. I'll just do this. I'm not. Oh, people would get mad. Oh, you know, right before I get to the good juicy stuff, I'll just say, and next week, just like I did right. the crack books, you know, why did you yeah, split them into two bucks? <laughs> anyway. Well, see, that's what I'm thinking for doing the 
do anything because I don't know if anyone's got patience for more than half an hour. So yeah, I was thinking it's splitting up things. Yeah, well, they do take a longer time to upload when you have it this long, but you know, I'll probably stick yeah. it on there. Anyway, so it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Likewise, um, as always. All right, so and we continued success. You too. Uh, what kind of what, what kind of uh, book are you doing next that no one would want to buy? No one wants to buy. Well, uh, the ones that are done but not published are the Chipmunks book and the Warren Kremer book, uh, who's, who is artist at uh, Harvey, who did Casper and Richie Rich. Yeah, well, not everybody knows. Yeah, and I talk about his pulp stuff, his horror stuff, the stuff he did at Ace, and uh, all the other companies. So not just Harvey. I'm sure, I'm sure I've got an anecdote about Ross back And then uh, Monkey's solo book, which I've done the research for, and then my co-author Mike Ventrella is now kind of cobbling together to make it into something. Uh, hey, you, gotta, you know, you should reprint the, the E.R. where the donkey story from cracked. Oh yeah, well we could. I mean, I suppose, but uh, That's a classic. And but we're not even at the image selection phase. So, and then. Currently working on Total Television Scrapbook, which is basically an updating of the old one, and I'm working with the daughter of one of the original owners who found this uh, these scrapbooks of one it was Buck Biggers, who died, wow. and he didn't tell me that he had all these scrapbooks of all this artwork and images and everything. She found Damn. it after he died, and she says, "Hey, let's do a book." So I'm working on that one. Naturally. Yes. Yes. And also correcting the errors, which I've mentioned earlier in podcasts, uh, that were in the older book. Actually, there's not too many, but a couple that just like, you know. And so, rather than doing a book, the original Total Television book I did. Uh, So, rather than do a a second revised edition, which I'm not a big fan of, I'm doing a completely different book. So, but I will mention the errors that I did in the other book and say, oops, here they are. So you're you're a bigger man than I am, Mark. <laughs> well, I better stop eating so much, I guess. I don't know. Someday we gotta someday we gotta meet. I will go out to Maine some point or you can come out to Oregon or something. Or we'll just... where are you? San Jose or something? No, I'm in Oregon now, so Springfield where the Shimpsons live. So I'm near I'm near Portland, but not your Portland, so <laughs> No. It's the alternate universe, Portland. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, if you have nothing else to say, or if even if you do, we'll just call it a day. All right. <laughs> All right. Exactly. It was a Very pleasure talking, talking to you. you. Always. All right. I look forward to our wonderful uh, cracked uh, omnibus collection. Yes, we will be working on that too. As long. As well. All right. And uh, right, take care of yourself. You too. And thanks to everyone who who stayed to listen to all this garbage. Yay! <laughs> I'm erasing it in the, the next five minutes. So. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> thanks. Take care. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Mort Todd, for being my special guest. And episode number seven will be coming soon. If you'd like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a Patreon of me. Thank you very much. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2018 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night.